Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that there is more to confidence in the bedroom or the kitchen or the sex club or a stairwell or the woods or wherever you are. There's so much more to sex wherever you do it than just jackhammering away. But if all you're missing in your relationship is some mutually beneficial stiffness, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office with the doctors that never got trained in sex ed and how to talk to people about it, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They say that there is nothing sexier than confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. Of course, I know you sweet listeners know that using confidence to connect, if you can be confident enough to be really vulnerable with someone, to communicate, to create a safe space that you occupy together, that is super hot. That's the foundation of a connection. And if you have a boner, that can definitely help you do certain things that you know that I love, just as long as you don't skip all the other stuff too. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. And as they say, chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER. At checkout, you just pay $5 shipping. That is bluechew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Hello, lovely humans. I am Wiley, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we talk about all things sex-related in an effort to educate ourselves and each other in order to connect so that we may all lead better laid lives. And our guest today is helping people connect in ways that can be friendly, very friendly, or downright kinky. Our guest is the CEO of Bloom Community, the app for sex-positive and kinky people to discover events, make connections, and build community. She has over a decade of business experience in some of the biggest tech companies, including Square, Lyft, Adobe, and a decade of experience building communities and events in the sex-positive and non-monogamy spaces. She claims that her biggest kinks are creating safe containers for sexual discovery and indulging in people's deepest fears and dreams. Luckily, these two work well together. Welcome, Noah, Elon! Hi! I feel like we could be best friends because I feel like both of us just want to get into people's, like... (laughs) heart right like it, it doesn't matter the way but it's like share with me like your deepest deepest desires and secrets oh my gosh that's the best and that usually means we're gonna have a pretty good conversation so could you please start us off by telling us if you had to rate yourself on a sexual shameometer from one being totally shameless to 10 being so full of shame where would you say you fall right now and when if ever does it fluctuate I feel like I would probably say a four. And I think part of it, right, is like being honest with myself about what is shame, right? Like if I think about shame, I think about what makes me embarrassed that other people know. So there's things that I feel no shame about. Then I feel very transparent about sharing it with people. But when it actually comes to things that I'm I feel like embarrassed about and I don't want people to know, then I feel it very, very deeply. And I've actually been thinking about it today because I have yet to like announce to my professional network that I'm the CEO of Bloom. So in like the community parts of it, like people know when we made like an official announcement and people really 
supported me and we got amazing reflections and I've been leading communities and creating safe spaces for a really long time. Yeah. But then my professional network, my business school friends or my friends from tech, they haven't really heard about it yet. And I have a lot of shame around them mm. discovering this about me, right? In some way. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, right? That I have, you know, especially being like, a, and you, maybe you have thoughts on this, but being like a human that is like, I'm as if like sexually advanced and I talk to people all the time about sexuality and how they can live freely in the world and anything you want, you can ask for. But I'm very, very like safe and hiding behind, like living on a tiny island without my family around me, without my professional network seeing me. And I've been really thinking about it, like mm -hmm. how scared I am, right? About coming out, right? I don't know if like shame is the right word because I'm not, I don't make it about myself. Sure. But yeah, there's this way that I have been normative passing, right? Like I pass as a normative person. I have a family. I have a husband. Yeah. I'm like white, professional. Like no one thinks that I'm a weirdo, right? And so I get all this privilege from people thinking that, but then I'm like actually not doing the work, right? To educate yeah. people that yeah. normative people are actually also freaks, yeah. right? And not only people that are freaks, also normative people. Today I've been thinking about it a lot because I've been writing this announcement on LinkedIn being like, by the way, I'm a CEO of this company and it's my dream job. And yet yeah. I've been waiting for months to tell you because I'm really scared by how the implications, like how people mm. will judge me or what people will say and how will that impact. But also I'm like, yes, this is the work, right? Like this is yes. the work. Like I need to leverage my power and, you know, all the privilege they have in order to allow other people to actually, you know, express freely in the world. Yeah. And I totally relate to that on so many levels. And I also have one opposite experience too, because like in some ways I have exactly the same thing because I have been like dabbling in sex work since I got so down the rabbit hole of like research is how I kind of think of it. Anecdotal research. I started doing like sex work related things and that's the part where I still feel secretive, but I always was like, I have a sex podcast. And that has, I have almost the opposite experience of like, People just come to me and they tell me that they're so open. I bet your network, even though you're uncomfortable, they're probably going to actually receive a huge gift like of permission because I am just a permission giver because of how I exist in the world to people. But I have the opposite where in my personal life sometimes I'm like, like on, on pod, I'll be like my fantasy this, my fantasy that. Blah, 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 blah. And then just the other day I was with a lover and I was like, I was having a fantasy about you and oh my God, I feel squiggly. I don't even know if I want to tell you. And I had, and, that, and I was like, what? <laughs> okay, so... It's all directions. Yeah, totally. And I think it's really weird how, you know, how conservative the world still is, right? Like I Out loud in public. Yeah, out loud, out loud, right? And you know, right? Like you're on Instagram and you're like, a, you know, a, you're an influencer. And I'm sure that you know that there's things that you cannot write, right? Then words oh, yeah. that you cannot write, like vagina yeah. or sex. Right? The sex stories Instagram got taken down. I didn't figure it out. My artist one is still up, but it's too, it's too much. It's too hard. <laughs> but that's what I mean, right? And I think part of what's really scary to me is with threads, right? Threads coming out now and threads is going to pretty much like replace Twitter likely. And then Meta is going to own all of the social conversations. Yeah. And when Meta owns all the social conversations, they also own moderation, right? And they decide what we can talk about. And that will like reinforce that none of us talk about being sexual adults at all. Right? And where does this land us, right? With like porn and 
you know, being in alleyways and talking about stuff. So it's like just, it's so sad to think about how conservative and, you know, normative, like social networks are making all of us seem externally. Totally. But also maybe you will be like, the drop that creates the ripple that starts to shift some of the tech people, you know, like who knows, who knows? We don't know. And that's, these conversations are going to do all of that. Thank you for sharing that. But yeah, I do think that platforms like Bloom or Lex or Oh My God, Yes, or all these platforms that proactively talk about sex and are distancing themselves from ad money that is connected to conservative corporations, like all of that will allow us to create more self-expression and more free speech. Fuck yeah. Can you tell us what is your definition of sexy? Like, what is sexy to you? For me, sexy is the ability to be in this like back and forth of power and play. I feel like for me, I find the edges of connection with people, right? So it's like, can I ask a question and how do you react to that? Or can you propose that we do this date and then I add like a twist to it? Like, I think like the back and forth, the I really, for me, sexy is like the edge of the friction of where we go back and forth together. Oh, I love that answer. I always say I'm like looking for our overlap so that we can like make a tight container and then play the fuck out of it. Like, but I like, I love how you said that. Damn. Okay. What do you think counts as sex? Oh, oh my God. I have, you know, this was like the biggest thing when Romy, who is my husband and I, when we opened our relationship, there was like all of this hiding behind definitions right it's like so hard to come and say like I like kiss someone or I touch someone's boobs or I did this so we would say like oh I made out we made I went to this party and we made out Mm -hmm. and I'd be like well what does made out mean like where's the edges of made out right or like where's the edges of sex and how can we stop hiding behind definitions and actually talk about like the actual things so I don't know where sex starts and ends like what if you meet someone on a chat room and you share your deepest secrets with them like that could be considered infidelity or sex right and you could all at the same time go to like a sex party and and actually have penetration with someone and that could be so I think the edges of what I consider like sex is where you share energy or have an experience where your sexual energy intensifies right Mm -hmm. so it could be even like eye gazing and breathing, but if you're trying to get to orgasm or you're trying to get the other person to orgasm, I think that is considered sex. I love that frame of like consciously choosing to escalate turn on together. Ooh, do you think it has to be together or can one person be having sex and the other one's not? What do you think? Not totally, right? Probably. I don't know. There's probably a way. <laughs> That's when people feel creepy, right? Like when you're Ooh. when someone's like, oh, I just want to give you a massage. And then you're like, this doesn't feel really nice, right? Is it because you are maybe not thinking about it as a sexual interaction and they are, right? So sometimes that is part of, I think, when we feel uncomfortable with people non-consensually, when they actually have a different level of sexual interaction than we are. That's one of my personal great concerns because I'm always afraid that I will have missed a social signal and I am always higher desire so like I've never been creeped out I'm like yeah touch me and I'm very good at enforcing boundaries but it's why it's so hard for me especially to hit on femmes because I'm like do you you know because I really have to check in a lot and that annoys the fuck out of some people when you were growing up did you ever get sex ed a helpful talk or a lesson in consent 
Well, I think, you know, I remember hearing my parents have sex when we're on vacation and we're like in the same hotel room and that was really uncomfortable. But I also think that maybe that made me feel okay with sex. You know, like I always think about like the things that actually are uncomfortable are also the sex education that we're getting about what's good or good. So I think that was part of it. You know, I don't know if I got anything at school, but my mom was a really big she was, you know, she believed in safety so much. So she always said, like, I prefer that you, she didn't even say to me, she probably said to my dad, but she was like, I prefer that Noah has sex in our house where she can like ask for help or whatever it is versus go to someone else's house. So from a very young age, like my house was like the easiest place to like bring boys to and stuff like that. So I think that is like such an incredible opportunity, right? To learn that you're safe to learn that you can actually control the environment of your sexual encounters. So I'm really grateful for that. You know, now I have kids. So I have a eight-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. And I think everything is sexual education, right? Like how from, you know, teaching her to not like pull down my bra and be like, hey, you have to ask before. Like, I don't like it when you do that. And teaching her consent to actually like, how do I talk to her about masturbation? Or how do I, you know, so I think it's like, this is, continuous right and I think sex education as a program only touches probably on five percent of what we remember and we really remember the way people behaved with us right and if if your mom told you you have to hug your grandpa because he's grandpa then you learn that your body isn't actually yours right so it's like how do I continuously think about consent as a framework for engagement and not just in the sexual realm Yes. So how, wait, so how did you learn then? Or like, when did you learn? Just like trial and error? I think so. I think, you know, so much of it is luck, right? I was so lucky, I think, to have, you know, I had like an idiot teenage boyfriend, but at the end of the day, he was like pretty safe. You know, he wasn't, you know, he cheated on me and blah, 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 but he was still not abusive. He was still like respected my boundaries, still cared about my pleasure. So I think I probably learned from meeting respectful people and learning that I deserve it. Okay. Someone on like, you know, back in the day, this was like, I want to say like before 2000 in the nineties, I was in like a AOL chat or one of those chat rooms. Uh-huh. And I pretended that I was 18, but I was actually 16. And I met this person. He was 21 and he was so nice. And I remember being like, I have to come clean. I'm actually 16. And he was a little bit of my sex like educator. He was like, you should read this book, like the story of O, and you you better like masturbate and learn what you like. And he never did anything sexual with me, but he was like this enlightened or like consensual character in my life that I'm super grateful for. Wow. I then tried to have sex with him like six years later and it wasn't very good, but I'm grateful Damn. for. Oh, wow. Six years. That's so cool. Wait, so you read story of O when you were 16? I know, I know. That's what you're saying, right? Was that your first exposure to kink? I think so. It's a good, you know, I remember there was like the Red Shoe Diary thing. Like there's all these like TV shows that were like sensual-ish stuff. So I think it probably there was some power dynamics there. But yeah, that was like the most intense I have ever. So I would love to hear your professional origin story, like what got you to this moment through the lens of like whatever parts of your sexual self you feel comfortable sharing. Like how did you get, like you said this is your dream job, like tell us whatever you feel comfortable sharing. 
you know, there's like the way that sexuality was always my hobby in some way, you know. I remember I met my partner when I was like 25 and we would like drive down to our apartment. We were roommates and we would like talk about sex the whole time and be like, what about this? And what about that? And then we weren't even dating, but we loved like flirting and talking about it. So, and then we started going to like sexy themed parties, right? It was like regular parties, but it was like kinky themed or there was like this path that like sexuality was always part of my aliveness. And then really what took off, and you know, I'm so grateful for him, Romy, because he was like, what about this party? You know, and he was like the instigator of like Googling Amazing. because it's really hard. It's like to find these communities, right? So yeah. you're like, I know that there's cool parties happening somewhere, but I have no clue where they are, right? Because yeah. they're not on Facebook and there was no Facebook then, but it's like a terrible website that you're like, is anyone actually there? And what yeah. are they trying to tell me? So he did all of this hard work probably of like finding in these communities. And we slowly, slowly, we tell you, we'd go to like play parties and we just play with each other. And like slowly, slowly we started opening. But what made the biggest change for me was, you know, I just had my second child and I was working at Lyft and I kind of got into this tech track and I was like developing and getting more and more power. But I felt extremely alone, right? Like tech mm-hmm. tells you like, don't worry about it. You're friends are your peers and don't worry about it. Your mission in life is like our mission as a company and don't worry about it. Your impact is how much revenue you're building for the company. And that really didn't feel great because I didn't really like my coworkers and I didn't love the way we made the decision as a company. And I didn't really like how much revenue I brought for the company. So I was like, yeah, what am I? Like, why am I spending all this time and who am I and where do I belong? And I kind of decided, I called the fall of rage. I had this like rage that I was like, you know, everyone must suffer. If I'm suffering at work, Romy, you better suffer at work, you know? And I had like this moment and I was like, I don't think that's actually true. What if I like just went and found my people and Mm. I got committed and I found this community called Bonobo Network in the Bay Area that they host like six positive spaces and six parties. And I was like, you're going to be my people. And I came to Misha and William, who was the founders. And I was like, I'm going to create a kissing booth at your party. I didn't really want to play with anyone sexually, but I'm going to create something that I can ask people vulnerable question and make them like roll the die. And then they can kiss it. Like, you know, whatever it was, connection, like you. And then I built community. And, you know, I remember like coming out of that party and, like three people became friends, like asked me to be friends on Facebook. And I was like, this is community. And like a year later, like they have become my friends. I like suddenly I walk into an event and like these people like like me and they know me and I feel like they cheer for me. So like in some way, while I was doing this like tech work and advancing in it, my real like meaning in life became these communities where I felt like I belonged. And then after I saw the power of that, I was like, I want to bring that to more people. So I started organizing my own events and started organizing, you know, workshops and circles and seeing the impact of what it feels like to create a safe container. Yeah. And then I was like, how do I do more of that? Because like, yeah, I like the tech and, you know, I like working with really smart people. But I see the transformation in creating safe containers and creating consent culture. So how do I bring these two together? And then when Bloom kind of, me and Luna, who is the founder, we got connected and like, this is it. Like, this is actually my dream. Like, how do I create more of like a scaled up version of, you know, safe containers? Mm, Here for it. Okay. So tell us what's your 
day-to-day like? Like, what do you actually do? How do you spend your time? How are you making the world a sexier, more loving place? Like, what are the parts that light you up? What lights me up is hearing people that are not alone. You know, it's either I talk to users all the time. Mm. And what I hear is people just saying like, oh, I found, you know, my wife came out as bisexual and I felt really confused by it. And I went on Bloom and I went to this, you know, poly happy hour and I met another dad who their wife is poly and we are now we're going on walks and I have a support system. And so hearing those stories is what really lights me up. And then talking to educators and people who organize sexy spaces and they're like, yeah, every day I meet like five more people that come from your app. So it's just like this idea that I'm allowing more counterculture people mm. to actually find their people really lights me up. And then, you know, I'm so grateful for the culture that we have on that. So what I do all day is like meeting people like you and being like, oh, let's talk about how do we make the world sexier and less shameful. And then in addition to that, like meeting other educators and there's so many cool events happening that I'm like, how did I never hear about you? Like people doing such creative events. I feel that way so much. Also reading the Bloom newsletter and I'm like, okay, invite. And I've invited so many of the people from there too. So it's like all unfolding in divine timing too. I love that. Right. Exactly. So it's like, how do we feel more of, and I think there are subgroups, but you have to be invited to them, right? Like part of it is how do we actually, you know, event organizers want to meet more people and there's so many weird, freaky, sexy people that want to find events. So how do we actually allow that to happen? Yeah. And then the second thing that I'm thinking about is like, how do we create a better culture, right? I continue to think about consent, right? It's like all these apps, they only do cancel culture, right? So they do two things. A, it's all like a numbers game, which is like, we need more women, right? And we'll make the men pay for the dating app, which is right. like what dating apps do. And it's all like a numbers game. And then if you misbehave... We're going to kick you out, right? Cancel culture. You're out. You're a bad person. But these terrible men that just go to the next app, right? Because no one's giving them feedback and no one's actually teaching the the community how to behave in these like highly, highly sexual or highly high possibility spaces, like because they don't have any access to it before. So they come in and they're like, oh, you seem sexy. You probably just want to see my dick. And it's like, no, actually not. <laughs> so how do we teach people that, right? Because they're like blinded by what they see. So I'm really thinking a lot about how do we do consent culture at scale and how do we educate people how to behave in these places and how do we educate people how to ask and how to say no and how to receive no. So that's like a lot of my new thinking. Is around like, how do we do more education? That's my favorite stuff to noodle on and my personal focus or foci over the last couple of years have really been honing in on the specific like verbal communication, noticing actual needs and desires, finding reasonable ways to have people who probably have trauma in their nervous systems to articulate and then just like knowing it's a whole mess. And I think one of my personal pet projects is talking to dudes who people usually yell at, you know, and so I always kind of like have these like steps that I go through where like, yes, it's very annoying and terrible to receive so much attention from complete strangers. So they're like, hello, I exist. Therefore, I'd like to fuck you because you seem good. You know, and I get those messages of some version of that. I'm obviously exaggerating. but I have a lot of education energy still. And I love doing that. So that's if you ever want to noodle on topics, that's literally my favorite thing. So, Well, I think you should, it's really interesting if you ever want to talk to Misha Byrick. He does Evolve.men. Okay. And he 
talks about that there's like a two side to this conversation, right? Like how do you feel the no inside yourself and how do you create space for someone else to feel no? How do you speak no in a mm -hmm. way that lands for someone else and how do you receive no? And then how do you speak harm and kind of repair, right? Because it's like, there's so many layers of consent from like feeling it inside you to yeah. speaking it to then speaking yeah. when someone hurts you. And I'm building that community here in Maui and I'm like, harm will happen and hurt will happen. Like, this mm -hmm. is like, we are human beings and us engaging in anything feels like we will hurt each other and we will, you know, press on each other's like buttons and scars. The big question is like, are we feeling safe enough to bring it up? And are we feeling safe enough to receive it and not think that you're in trouble because you're a bad person now that you did it? And are we feeling safe enough to actually repair or not repair, but have these like really difficult conversations about it? Yeah. And it's such a good area of research. One thing that I've noticed through the last five years of cultivating my personality to allow myself to express my curiosity in question form, because before age 27, when I started this, I like could barely ask the millions of questions. I was just like confused and disconnected most of the time. And I was like, what the fuck is happening on this planet? But I was just trying to pretend to be like everyone else. What I've realized is we are... I'm going to speak broadly here. So these are generalizations, but I've noticed that there seems to be this pattern of like judgment of ourselves and each other in an effort oftentimes to create safe spaces, but it creates the, the cancel culture that you were kind of referencing. And I personally in the last like year or two of my own research and in my own personal life have gotten so much mileage out of the phrase hold on, I need something different. I have to figure it out. Like when I get a no in my body or when I, you know, and I'm a person that's pretty full of yeses and I'll be like, touch me here, go there, you know, and I will frame it in the positive. But I've, I've really found, because I'm a person that will trigger the fuck out of people on accident because I'll have really clear boundaries and I'll express them immediately like, not like that. And that was like what my early sexual communication sounded like. So that really resonates. And then how do you create that, right? So when sometimes when I play with people, I tell them like, you know, for me, actually, it's really hard sometimes to say no. So what helps me is if you check in and allow me like 10 seconds to think about it, because my mm. automatic will be like, yeah, yeah, all fine. But how do I onboard people, right, to yeah. what I need and feel safe to say no? Yeah. I love also not asking people yes or no questions. I love to be like, what's feeling good right now? What needs to feel different? Is there anything I need to change? You know, because I really practice with partners inviting communication in at the beginning of uh, being with a new lover. I usually do some version of like, I really love to know what you're enjoying and I need to know if you need anything different because I want to, you know, and that works really well. Like that has worked really well over the past couple of years too. Then again, if I'm with penis owners, like they're pretty happy for the most part. I haven't, we'll see, I'll continue to workshop that. But I have a lot of friends too who are nonverbal, especially when turned on. So it's like, you know, we all have to do our best. Okay, but work-wise, <laughs> how are you spending most of your day-to-day? -day? Like it's talking to people and then like organizational stuff. And then you're like noodling on, you know, saving the world with consent. But like, what's it like? So I think part of it is like, what's the needs of our users, right? Like whether it's event organizers or our community mm -hmm. members. So what? their needs in terms of like what products we need to build and that product could be like on the app itself like people want to be able to filter events based on what they're interested in or people want to be able to like send you know connection requests with a small note so like understanding continuously what people are like looking for mm -hmm. that's like one part of it 
The second one is like, what content do we want to have on the platform, right? So mm. what's really interesting is there's some events that are not great for every platform, right? So like kink events and sex education is really hard to promote on regular social media. Yeah. So we get like a lot of them on our platform. But then if you think about dance events or, you know, storytelling events, like that's much easier to put on social media. So we get a lot less of them. But if we know that our audience is looking for these events, how do we practically go out and bring them into our platform? So like a whole second piece of the work is how do we think about the content on our platform and how do we continuously like pull in the type of content that our audience wants? Yeah. The third one is really thinking about building the community. So like what processes we need to put in place for consent? What processes do we need to put in around like communication? What processes do we need to put around for like ticketing? Like everything that actually makes, allows us to scale in an inefficient and like still tight way as a community. Yeah, yeah. Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that the foundation to an awesome sex life is excellent mental and physical health, but if proper rest, exercise, and a healthy lifestyle aren't leading to the blood flow you'd like when and where you'd like it, check out bluechew.com. Bluechew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. And the process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with awkward physicians who aren't trained to talk about sex lives, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They always say first impressions are important, but what about lasting impressions? Lovers, I do believe that we can always make loving, lasting impressions by connecting and being present and chasing our pleasure and our partner's pleasure. And if your priority is making a deep, deep impression between two beautiful, enthusiastic thighs or cheeks in the name of partnered pleasure, I get it. I've worn a strap on now. I, too, love having a hard cock. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That is BlueChew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. For anyone who's not familiar with the app, I have downloaded it. I made a profile. I'm not a big swiper, but will you just explain kind of how it works? Because it has daily limits and things. And I think people like to know these details. So our app, my vision for what we should do is that Bloom is the place for you to find alternative communities, right? So it's an alternative dating app for alternative people. So if you're non-monogamous, queer, kinky, you know, if you believe in like, plant medicine or if you believe in like activism or you know all of the things that are outside of like normative humans which a lot of us are non-normative in so many ways this is a place for you to find your people and we believe that the best way to find your people is actually by meeting them so yeah we have a part of it that is you can see profiles and you can you know like or not like and connect with people but we believe that the better way to connect with people is through conversations and through shared experiences so we have live events we have online events where people actually meet so for example you'd go on the app and you'd look for rope events and you'd be like oh there's a rope jam and there's a rope workshop in my city and as you look at the different events you can see who's going to these events and you're like oh my god 
I, I saw this person last week in the munch and you can connect with them and be like, Hey, I'm going to be there. Maybe you want to like share in an exercise together, or maybe after the event you go and you find the people and you like connect with them and you're like, it was great meeting you. So it's a way to build like a way deeper level of relationship because I really believe even though it feels like today you can meet a million people in five minutes, the majority of them are very, very, you know, surface level relationships just because there are so many, you know, if you go on any dating app, you probably have 5,000 people in line for you oh, yeah. to like, like, but the truth is relationship takes time and connection takes time and community takes time. So we believe that creating these links between events and communities and chats is what creates enough depth for people to like actually become in relationship. And that's what I hear. I hear from people, oh, I came for Bloom just to find events because we're probably the most advanced event listing app. I came for the events, but I found all of my partners pretty much on it. So I think that it's like people come for the events and stay for the relationships in some way, but yeah. I love that. I love that. I know that you said you haven't like, shared with your whole network yet but the people who do know about your new job so far like what have the reactions been like it's been really amazing i feel like i'm really connected to the bay area sex positive community so like i said bonobo network or some more like other alternative communities and we've been doing you know unofficially so many events and working on a lot of like consent a culture and a lot of accountability work so it just feels like now I get to work with my friends, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, people are really excited. And I think just my ability to also bring the tech sites. I've, I've seen some big companies like Square and Lyft and Adobe and being able to like bring that mindset into a world which has been always like very alternative. I think is really welcome because I think it will help us like scale and actually bring yeah. the story into more mainstream a culture. That's awesome. So you really do have a gift for fostering, creating community. What do you think it is about yourself that makes you so good at what you do? Like, what, why? How? Yeah, I think, well, I'm, I'm short. So I think that helps. I think I'm like... <laughs> really? Yeah, I know. I'm um, five, one. I, I think people experiencing me as like not very threatening. And I think that really helps. Oh my gosh. I wonder. So I've always been like, why are people treating me like I'm in charge? Why do they think that? Why are they getting mad yeah, at me? Because I'm 5'8". Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's so interesting. I was, I saw on LinkedIn, the CEO, he posted like, we should really have underneath our Zoom what our height is because, <laughs> because I get really surprised by people's height. And I was like, that is like so interesting and actually completely like does not take into account minorities and like the impact of people who are like not on like the correct side of like the average, like actually this helps people who are short not <laughs> yeah. be marginalized. Or not be like, so it was just like so interesting how we completely did not take that into account. But I wow. do think that, you know, it's great when you're tall and you can like assume that people assume a lot more power of you. No, I just figured it out like last year. I'm like, I'm submissive as fuck. And I'm always like, don't ask me questions. I'm not the, I don't know. I don't know. You know, and, and then I was at jury duty and everyone was asking me what to do. And I'm like, I do know the answer, but why do you assume that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was yeah. really crystallized. Well, and I think that is part of it, right? Power dynamics, I think is so, I was just talking to someone about it yesterday that is like, we need to be aware of power dynamics, right? Because like, even if you feel like, oh, I'm just like a normal person and yeah. I don't know anything about life and I'm just, you know, feeling shy and embarrassed and 
an outsider as much as anyone else, still the world sees you in a different way, right? So if you're like a male or if you're a CEO or if all these things, like people project on you, even if you don't feel it. So move away from like for leaders, like you have to move away from just thinking that it's not going to happen if you tell everyone that you're like embarrassed and still feel like a 12-year-old kid and actually own yeah. the fact that you have power and then like own it and then behave in accordance to it. Yeah. I think because I'm a short, you know, woman and people are, yeah, just assume that I'm safe, which I'm not. I'm very, very, very mischievous. But- Ooh, I love that. <laughs> okay. But like at work, do you, are you like putting puzzle pieces of people together? Like what is it about group or community that like speaks to your heart? You know, I feel like you probably have some skill you take for granted that I could learn from. Yeah, my husband, Romy, he produces festivals, a festival called Soul Play, which is about a connection and intimacy and embodiment. (gasps) And he's always on stage and he's super, he's an incredible leader and we're extremely different. He has this vision. He's like, people will walk into the venue and they'll go through this experience. And even if some people will feel uncomfortable with it, overall, it's going to create a better experience. And I think that's his very unique superpower. And I am much more like in the one-on-one and the experience. So I think what makes me a good people manager, a good community leader, a good CEO is that I really understand what is hard for people. And I'm able to like identify like the challenges, the opportunity, like where it's like the actual emotional block and the needs. And I'm able to like maneuver through it being like, oh, you're saying that you don't want this, but what I actually hear you is that you don't feel like safe for people to like see you in this way. So I think there's like a way that I understand like the underlying needs. You, you've been talking about needs, but underlying needs. Yeah. And I'm able to like then address them without getting too caught up in the details. That's incredible. And I think that through all of my research, that's the skill that I don't have that I am desperately trying to teach myself because my brain is very literal and I love to take people at their word because consent, right? An agency, right? And I'm going to do what they said, right? And through interviewing people over the last five years, I'm like, oh my goodness, there are layers. And at some point it's up to me to decipher and make a choice about what their animal body is saying versus what their words are saying. And especially in sexual spaces, you know, and especially spaces mm-hmm. where I am so rule following, I'm so consent oriented. That's like to be able to read between those lines is beautiful. It's a beautiful skill. So a book that I highly recommend is a Crucial Conversations. Okay. And Crucial Conversations really speaks to the underlying narratives, right? So there's like you perceive something, you perceive me saying something, you make a meaning out of it and you react to the meaning versus the actual yeah. behavior. So it anchors people on like, oh, what you have to start with is the middle, like the meaning, like what exactly did you make meaning out of and how do we unfold this versus the behavior that you witnessed? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes when I hear a phrase or a series of words, I can understand it with my very creative brain in like four different directions. And then sometimes in asking those clarifying questions, they think I'm being a little shit and I'm just like, no, I'm just trying to make sense of it. I can't wait to read Crucial Conversations. I will. I read books like this all the time. It's my favorite. Wait, what book do you recommend that I read? What are you trying to learn right now? I think I'm really interested in reading about, well, I've been, I just bought this book, The Rise of Virtual Community. I think I'm like really interested in how do you connect deeply, but like one to many versus one-to-one. Have you read The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker yet? Love it, yeah. Okay, good, good. That's that's like definitely necessary. 
but I need to. Oh, yeah. that's great. I have the audiobook and I just re-listened to that, especially because I am so obsessed with, you know, I'm working toward long-term goals of creating IRL spaces for people that are kind of like retreat-like or like the Starbucks of the kink world, basically, or whatever, you know, maybe mixed with a museum. And so that's, so I think a lot about that. I'm looking at my books over there. If you, just for funsies, just because it's amazing, if you haven't read A Curious History of Sex by Kate Lister, she is fucking hilarious. She's a British historian and author, and it's just one of my favorites. And she also wrote Harlot's Whores and Hackabouts, A Brief History of Sex for Sale. So she's one of my just like favorites. It's just like delightful in the space. Connection-wise, I also really enjoyed and found insightful Tell Me What You Want by Justin Lemuller. He's another podcaster, and I'm trying to get him on here because it just talks about people's fantasies. I also really like, this is like a written for adults to talk to their kids, but I'm obsessed with the book Beyond Birds and Bees by Bonnie J. Ruff because it's such a helpful framework for thinking about the weirdness around our culture and sex and how to have conversations. And it's written for parents, but I'm like, it helped me a lot too. So I love that. Okay, well, are there any like juicy sex stories that you've encountered because of your work that you can share with us that like things you never would have come across otherwise? Well, I can tell you a juicy story that is not connected to my work. That Great. Oh, I love that. Well, this is like one of the things that I want to, I'm actually curious about doing because I think there's so many events that are happening that, you know, we have like 10,000 events every year that people yeah. post on Bloom. Wow. And I'm like, probably so many of them are like wacky creative ideas. So I want to, mm-hmm. you know, do some kind of write up or like a blog or a podcast where we actually talk about the level of creativity when people combine sexuality and activism. Yeah. So I went to this event where it was a sexy-ish event where it was about capitalism and each person that walked in the room, they got an envelope when they were like, they were born with some amount of wealth, right? Similar to like the real world, like all random. And now you had to walk to this party and like engage and, you know, you could, you had to pay money to sit on the sofa or have a snack or get a massage. And now you had to deal with whether or not you had money and if you're privileged or not privileged. And so I think that was like really interesting and I came in with this vision. I was like, I want to be a trophy wife. I want to see what it feels like to be a trophy wife. So I paid this matchmaker to connect me with the richest person that she knew about in this party. And I found this, like, he was like a baller. You know, he had like a money tie. And, you know, he had, I had only $40. He had $20,000. And I got that experience, which was pretty boring and terrible, where I was like standing next to him, like, making small talk and he would just give me money periodically okay <laughs> like, this is really boring because i kind of want to go and like play and hang out and do shenanigans but i'm like attached to this rich kind of boring person that everyone else wants to talk to because they're the richest person in the room and in order to like get this stream of funds so after 10 minutes i was like okay i'm out thank you it was nice like i want a divorce like <laughs> But but it gave me like a great experience. So I like these ideas. Like I like the ideas of like the crazy things that people do to like push the edges of sexual experiences and, you know, meaning and values. Wow, that's so fun. I have also never been a trophy wife, but it's something that I think about a lot because one of my my like next project that probably no one will take me up on the offer for collaboration with is I'm like, 
Well, I've never been interested in marriage, but I'm a little curious about divorce. And I would be interested in project-based marriages. Like the only way someone could get me monogamous is if they're like uh, six weeks, you know, six to nine weeks, whatever, six to nine months. Mm -hmm. And so I've been kind of like thinking about this because I'm like, well, what is the difference between a trophy wife and a prostitute other than like social acceptance, you know? And that's that's kind of just the question that I want to explore with that performance art, you know, and like the legality of all of it and the whatever. I mean, I wouldn't change my name anyway. I don't know. I already didn't change my name. <laughs> yeah, I always ask any of my friends, like, would you rather be a trophy wife or a groupie? It's like one of my all-time favorite questions, which is like, would you rather be wealthy, but like someone else owns you, right? So it's like, you don't follow your passions and dreams, but you live a cushy life or would you rather chase the dreams, but mm. maybe be like extremely like unwealthy? So mm. yeah, I think a lot of like my internal kind of thinking, like how do I think about what does it mean to be like desired versus desire other people, right? Like is it yeah. a higher value that someone wants you? Well, I think there's probably categories too. Like which versions of desire are the most juicy for which people, you know? Totally. <sighs> Damn. I mean, I would want to be the trophy wife that has, I don't know, a stag husband who's like, yeah, babe, which – which rock star this week, you know? <laughs> there is something for everyone, right? You right? just have to like speak it. Lovers, we are going to take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor. And they have given me notes to do a sultry female voice. So I'm very excited and I'm going to do my best. Did you know the Flora app is a safe place to open up, embrace your desires and find like-minded people. This is the story of one couple who found the threesome of their dreams discovered a new level of shared passion, and stepped into a whole other realm of possibilities, all thanks to Floor. As life's routines settled in, Robert and Lucy found themselves yearning to explore uncharted territories. So they downloaded Floor and embarked upon a thrilling journey of sensual experimentation, learning more about each other's desires in the process. Open-minded and adventurous, Robert and Lucy dreamt of adding a new dimension to their intimacy, sharing the touch of another woman, being witnessed and connecting in a way that transcends the ordinary. In Fleur's diverse and accepting community, Lucy connected with Emily, a babe craving the same experiences. So they invited Robert to the conversation. The chemistry built and anticipation heightened as they exchanged messages until finally their agreed-upon date night arrived. A gorgeous hotel was the setting for their evening of pleasure, passion, and connection a shared exploration that fulfilled each party's desires. Floor app celebrates the beauty of open-minded connections. It's a platform where fantasies come to life and desires are embraced without judgment. For couples seeking adventure with others or individuals keen on exploring, Floor invites us all to a world where every desire is a possibility waiting to unfold. Download Floor now, express your desires freely, and find like-minded people today. Okay, what have you learned about, like, social and cultural norms through your work that has either, like, surprised you in an awesome way and or that you would like to shift? Like, what are you noticing about our relational world? Well, I've learned that, you know, socially, every city is so different, right? I was just talking to Violet. She's on my team on the content and events team. She comes from New York, and she came to the Bay for a week, and she was like, you guys are weird. Why did you use Facebook? You know, why does everyone still use Facebook in the Bay Area? And why do you only have house parties? Like what I told you about the capitalist party. She's like, 
we never have those. We just go to like, we know where like the queer bar is and that's, we follow the queer bar on Instagram and that's what, how we know what's happening. But you search for like a bar of your topic of people versus you find a community and then the community moves in different venues. So I think what I've learned is how different it is and how it's so culture, like microcultures, right? Of like the, the ways people like engage in their self-expression and exploration. And I think it just makes me think about how much more mindful we need to be around allowing every city to actually build itself up versus try and like put a framework on people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's a question. Is it the city itself or is it the individuals who are choosing to inhabit that particular place that have the resources and the desire to actually be the hosts? You know what I mean? Because I'm like starting to meet some of those people in LA and I'm also been hesitant to go to events in LA because I'm like, I don't want to go as Wyo and get recognized. Should I be in a wig? I don't know. What am I doing? I don't want to be like a citizen, you know? And so it's, it's interesting because it's like, yeah, who is creating that culture? What about the other cities? Like, do you have other like broad generalizations for them? Yeah, I think that like the San Diego city is really interesting. San Diego is a very tight community. Even I think in big cities like LA and the Bay and New York, like you have micro cultures, right? So there's like poly people, but there's four different organizations that each one has like their different flavor of consent and whether or not they like costuming or don't like costuming, Mm. they have a theme or they don't have a theme. Is it the cool kids or is it like the weird kids? (laughs) And in places like San Diego and Portland, it's like, there's not enough of us. We have to go to all the things, right? Like I'm kinky and poly. There's all like these layers that all merge together just because of the sheer amount of people. There's a lot more exploration, I would say, and a lot more fluidity versus, oh, is this right for me? Exactly. In this moment where like big cities have that a lot more. Interesting. Are you in U.S. only? Are you in other places? Yeah, currently we're in U.S. only just because we need like the market to, you know, it's not like we're dating or it's not just online. So we need enough events. So people, when they join in, they're like, oh yeah, I have enough events for me here. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So have you noticed in your position any sex-related shifts or trends in this industry in general? Like when we're whether we're talking about like dating apps or kink spaces, like does anything come to mind? Yeah, I just and you know again, I think it's because we've grown from like the very queer, sex-positive community of the Bay that we have all these very consent-minded people. But I've, I've been talking to people, and a lot of what I hear is like, I don't know if I can reach out and how do I make sure that I have consent to like message someone on the app and that's so much more like mindfulness than mm-hmm. I've ever seen on anywhere else around like behaviors and being aware of privilege. So I think that's really cool. You know, I can I am originally from Israel and even Israel, which we used to be like way more of a macho country, like every time I go there I see a lot more consent and like female first norms. So I think that's Super cool. I'm so excited about it. Mm, I love that. How has your work influenced your own sex life? It sounds like there's a little bit of vice versa, but like, what's that dialogue like? Yeah, I spoke about it a little bit before, but I didn't speak it about myself, but it like acknowledging my own power, right? So I think I always, I did events in the side and, you know, I mainly am like a participant and I hang out with a lot of people who lead communities. I've never had to really deal with 
what you're dealing with, which is like, you're the face of something, right? Like I always like hang out and create experiences, but I've never been the face of it. I've only been like on the side. So I had like this privilege of being like, oh, you know, no one actually pays attention to me. And now I am like that person. I am the person with power. So it's like, you know, I still go to like play parties or dungeons and like, I'm like, oh, how do you even like engage, right? With people, like how much more layers of consent and power awareness do you have to like bring into the conversation to actually feel safe to like play, right? And to self-express. So I think I'm in the middle of transition in some way. Like I feel like I haven't done it enough to really feel into it, but this is something that I'm thinking about all the time right now being like, mm. oh yeah, I'm not that person. These people are right. They're like, I feel like you're familiar. And I was like, maybe from that email from like the <laughs> news. Like, oh, I'm sure you, that happens to you, but yeah, like, I think I'm just like leaning into like, oh, the responsibility that comes with it. Yeah. I feel that. Yay for the juiciness of in progress though, you know, and, yeah, and for me really. too, like giving myself permission to let go of authority as identity all the time, because if I am not at the end of the day connected to my own core of pleasure and desire and, you know, creating safe spaces for myself to be in that, then I have lost the whole point of everything. So uh, I feel you in figuring that out. <laughs> okay. So in your perfect world, what do your boundaries between work life and your personal life look like? Like, again, like this is where I feel like I understand why famous people only hang out with famous people because it's so hard to be non-anonymous. <laughs> You're like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. But this is like the work of the shame, right? Like, I think this is, it comes back to like, what's the shadow in it, right? Like, what am I like really embarrassed by people seeing, right? Like, how do I create a world where it's like totally fine to be like a normal person going to like play parties? This is, I think, where I'm like reevaluating my value system or like my shame experience. I'm like, oh, here's something for you to work on, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you know, big deal going to play parties when you're like in a different state. But what about when your community is there? So I think my perfect world would be that I would be able to like speak very transparently about what embarrasses me and what I, you know, like actually be humanly, right. And like actually be able to like deal with like ouchies and be able to deal with my needs without wanting to like look perfect all the time. Mm, yeah. And, you know, work for me, right. It's so much conditioning around like needing to be perfect and needing to be like the best and stuff like that. And I want to create, more spaces that people to just be them and there was like a we're in it together experience that people would feel but I know that it's available I just I need to get over my stories about you know my worthiness and maybe your nervous system needs a safe space to just practice growing into this new thing you know I was just listening to one of my favorite podcasts the Huberman Lab on this episode yeah. on growth mindset you know, and as I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh, that's a lot of, oh, wow. You know, and I was praised for being smart growing up. The basic thesis is sort of like kids who are praised for being intelligent get this perfectionistic streak and then they actually choose easier questions and their performance drops. Whereas kids who are praised on the like effort are more likely to choose harder problems and then in the long term like excel. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've always been a process-oriented rather than product-oriented human, you know, and that's what I really like about talking to people and understanding where we are. I think it's also why I accidentally explode people sometimes because I don't realize 
how extreme most people's need to be perfect is because I'm not very perfect <laughs> and I am very messy <laughs> in, in a good way, you know? But like, yeah, how do we bring that in? Especially when there's that sense of like needing to be in charge. And I started hiding more from the internet when I was like, I don't know how to deal with an audience. <laughs> yeah, I think part of it is like being okay for us to feel okay with like our failures and our in the ways that we like hurt other people and the rejection that we get, right? And then, yeah, being okay with that will allow for more of this like co-creation to yeah. happen. Or for me, I have a rejection kink. So I'm like, yes, please. You'll just like me to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well that just means that you're safe right that you have like an internal like safety oh yes 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 uh it's a great defense against disappointment if i just like expect everyone to reject me and just really you know and it, it keeps me from having to grow in uncomfortable ways i don't know about that you know, but i think it allows you to actually i've just been reading this book from i don't know her name but it's called uh i will not remember it now but it's this pro dom she writes a book about how to use dominance and submission to like get what you want. Is it Unbound by Kasha Urbaniak? That's the other yes, one I almost recommended. Yeah, I love that book. And she's got a lot of... But she talks about the welcoming no, right? She talks about... Oh, I've gotten so good at it. Uh, good job. One day I'll be like you when I grow up. No, I don't. I hope not. No, you have social skills that you don't have to worry about that. But no, I, I'm really good at receiving those. I'm too good at it. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, good. Reject me again. Good. Thank you. You know, and I think I think my task is to practice more of her asking. Like in that book for me, just the asking practice, writing down the people I can ask from. I'm like, okay, you know, um, that. Oh, here's what you should read if you haven't already. Have you read Existential Kink? Uh, I, I started it. I never did like the exercises. You know, I like I like it and sometimes I like lean into it. And then I'm like, how do you find the balance between victim shaming and existential kink? Right. Because it's like, are you bringing on yourself all the bad things that are happening to you because you want it? Like, mm. I think it's like a good practice. If you're someone who feels empowered in their asking for they want or saying no, and you're able to like, use that as a framework for evaluating like what's in the shadows for you. I like it. But if you're someone who continually falls into like bad relationships and continually like allows yourself to like be manipulated or taken advantage of, it could make it sound like you're actually wanting it mm. versus like your trauma flared up or, you yes, know, yes, stuff yes. like that. So I think she has a section that is specifically addresses that or sort of is like, don't do these exercises if you're in this sort of place. For me, it's just been an extremely helpful tool for creatively assessing the patterns that have been showing up in my life over and over again. And then also being able to like enjoy when shit goes wrong. Because I read, I read it two years ago and I'm just like, ugh. well, I, like, for example, I have a kink for an overwhelm pattern. I love to just like learn and learn and learn until I'm like spinning out. And so that's actually helped me bring enough awareness to it to shift. But I totally hear what you're saying on it's got to be at the right moment in someone's journey. Yeah. And I, I totally hear you. Like, I think sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm like reliving the same story that no one takes me into account again mm. with every relationship. What's the chance of that actually being true versus, mm. well, you know, part of it could be like, I'm bringing it on myself. Some of it could be like, I'm choosing these people that do it for me. But it's like recognizing that you are the driver of it allows you also to like shift. Yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. It's such a delicate balance between like taking on all the responsibility for yourself and everyone and just being like, okay, this is just part of me and I choose something different now. I struggle with that. Or rather, I'm finding that balance. 
curious about like existential kink if men read it you know i don't like you know and this is like very gender binary but i'm like if like overall more men would read it would they be like bullshit i you know like does it like perfectly match women's like taking on so much of the responsibility that's a great question I don't know. I've, I've told the frameworks to a couple guys. I mean, then again, I gave it to a former partner and we broke up not long after that. So <laughs> it's a great question. I, yeah, that's, that's something I would be really, really curious. I don't think that community has a lot of dudes, but I don't, I don't know. Well, so here's a question. What do you feel like you have learned is useful when communicating about the topic of sex? Like, what do you find most helpful in those kind of like situations or conversations, whether it's in the work zone or in a play zone? So I think continually when I talk to people about like my own process for non-monogamy or my own process of sex positive spaces, I continuously anchor in my own experience, right? Because I find that so many people have so many feelings about it, right? Like there's nothing that triggers all your stuff like sex, right? So it's like if I talk about being non-monogamous, like anyone who's married has so many feelings about that, right? Like so being able to like just own that it's my experience and own the fact that it might not work for other people. And also like acknowledging like the risks of it, right? Being able to be like, yeah, I don't know if we'll stay forever. Like I can't promise that the best outcome will happen or like that what you're afraid of won't happen. So like mm-hmm. just being able to give like, more space yeah. for all the experiences has been really helpful. I think what I'm really curious now is how do we do more of like the shared responsibility, right? Like we spoke about like being able to hear no and being able to speak no. You know, a lot of what people are talking to me about now is like, how do I feel safe and how do I feel safe to like show my face on an app that talks about kink or non-monogamy? And it's like, yeah, how do we make it safe for people, right? A, like acknowledging their fear is real. Like you might be penalized if your boss finds out that you're, in an app and write that you're kinky. Like, I can't promise that's not going to happen. So like validating the fear and allowing people to be informed about the risk that they're taking. And then the second one is like, what do we do as a group? How do we take the risk and try and spread it across as many people, not just the people that are the most vulnerable and the most like risk averse? Yeah. Damn, I am feeling how strong I'm in a bubble right now because it's been a minute since I've had to think about like actual repercussions other than when I was like interviewing someone from Utah, you know, like I haven't thought about the fact that there can be, I guess, consequences. I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying that they're like job searching, right? They're like 23 and they're like, I don't know. What if someone who interviews me sees me on the platform? Or I think there was something like open, which is a non-monogamy nonprofit that focuses on elevating non-monogamy. They said that like 78% of non-monogamous people say that they were penalized in some way for being non-monogamous. Damn. Yeah. Whoa. So it's like real, you know, I want to believe that it's not, but it's also real. People get kicked out of their house. People get kicked out of their job. People get like not promoted. So part of it is owning it. And what I'm excited about is like, how do we create more accountability, right? In mm-hmm. some way, which is you know, when you go to a dungeon even if you see your coworker, you're like, you're here just as much as I am. Like you're wearing a weird collar and just as much as me. And there's this like share, like you have skin in the game just as much as I do. And what I'm interested in is like in a virtual platform like Bloom, how do we create this mutual yeah. responsibility? Yeah. Which is like, 
you have skin in the game, like you committed to this and you're not just like a tourist. So I'm like continuously thinking about that because I don't want only, you know, people that are vulnerable to be at risk and need to pay, you know, to be incognito or whatever it is. But I want more of like the community to spread it across the community to make sure that more people are actually sure. paying for Especially that. since so many people like literally are behind closed doors. It's, that's the funniest, saddest thing about all of society to me is I'm like, we're all doing, you're weird too. Okay. Well, <laughs> Damn. totally. I was just Googling like who are like the most famous poly celebrities yeah. and it's like very little. And I'm like, wow, I'm sure that there's like so many that just are like not out about. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. and then only like five people like that Cosmo found. And I'm like, it's so sad to me, right. That we're still so conservative in that world. And hopefully I think as we, maybe as Gen Z becomes, you know, more active, maybe well, we'll be, you know, I was, I was just thinking about Esther Perel talks about it a lot and mm-hmm. she's, and I love her, but she talks about monogamy used to be one person for your whole life. Yeah. Now monogamy is like one person at a time. In theory, not usually in practice. Right. And then like, you know, maybe the next generation would be like one person in an, any given moment, right? Or whatever <laughs> it is. Like, I think that reality is like one person to raise your kids with or whatever it is. Like, I think mm. the idea of like, we think that monogamy has always been, you know, the core of our society, but the truth is monogamy has opened up significantly since our like eight parents' generation and our definitely our grandparents' generation. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. And more public ways, but <laughs> affairs and courtesans have existed forever. So what are you most excited to explore in your work going forward? I, what I'm most excited about is I'm imagining a world where there is like sub, we have chats right now in our platform. So now there's like events, there's people and there's chat rooms, which is like, oh, massage exchange or like Burning Man events. And I'm excited about the idea that this will be a place where people like stay in touch mm. with groups. Instead of like dating one-on-one, you do like dating a community dating like a family, whatever it is. So I'm excited. Like what lights me up is this idea of feeling when you go to Bloom that the layers of relating is like evident there. Like I have the people that I talk to about being a parent. I have a people that I talk to about being into rope. I have the people that I talk to about, you know, makeup. And how do you then go and feel like you have different layers of yourself in different places? Oh, yummy. If you could wave a magic wand and teach everyone something about sex, what would it be? That it doesn't matter whose fault it is. It really matters how you own the hurt and actually connect with people. And I feel that with like my eight-year-old daughter. She's like, it's not my fault. And I'm like, I know it's not your fault, but you still should check in on this person that you like bumped into them or you still should like clean the milk that your brother spilled about like there's this like inherent like mm. cancel culture or like you know who's responsible and you have to pay the yeah. price that happens which I think leads us to disconnection all the time being in defense so if yes. I could teach anyone anything about sex is like you're not in trouble like even if you hurt people you're not in trouble and it's like way more meaningful if you repair and if you speak up if it's action than like the actual behavior that happens Fuck yeah. Yeah. My personal goal in life is to do everything in my own power 
to make a world where taking care of each other is the norm. That's what my future sci-fi sex ed musical feature film is called Mission 69, because it will remind each other to take care of each other. And it's like that is an ongoing active thing that we all just have to continue to participate in if we want that. You know, I do. Yeah, I don't I don't like the attack culture we live in. <laughs> what else have we not touched on? What else do you think we need to make the world a sexier more? Well, I feel like we have to talk about 69 now because yeah. I don't think that 69 is like a terrible position because no. like no one's actually getting that attention. I used to feel that way, but that was when I was at a time where I was like concerned with my own performance because I was like, this is not the best angle for me If because I was on, mostly with penis owners at the time. I was like worried about my body. And then I sort of like have shifted over the past few years of like, if when I'm 69ing, it's because I'm in a delicious mess of original creativity that is sex. And I've also been spreading the word about like on your side 69 too, because you can, I can reach much better. And I love stimulating and like 69 doesn't have to be mouths on both people. Like sometimes I just love to get like fingered while, while I'm like on the whatever, whatever part I'm on. If your goal isn't like, orgasm and it's all about the co-creation and the experience I agree. and the next level yeah and it also really depends i think on the body sizes like it doesn't work as well with some people you know it's that's just the reality of physics so that's when we have to get creative do you have any other like work related sex stories or thoughts or anything else you want to share yeah i'll just share how cool it's been to be able to like work in an industry that everyone i work with is like aware because so many so many of my coworkers and my partners and the organizers are all like so skilled at communication mm. and at like event and I just feel like so lucky to be able to like be able to work with people who care about interpersonal lives and I think it's like so cool and then also there's this way of like how do you actually create a work environment right that it's like yeah we can talk about this but we cannot go to like a play party together or like so I think it's like really interesting to kind of feel like how do you both embody sexuality as like something that is completely normal and also understand like the implications of sexuality as like something that is like a big deal emotionally for people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you navigate those boundaries though? Like, do you just stay away from colleagues outside of work? Yeah, you go to the same parties. You're like, you kind of like negotiate like which communities are you part of, which communities are you in? So I think like, like that is part of it. Wow. And like a lot of, pre-communication like on my bloom profile i'm like i work at bloom and i will not escalate unless someone else escalates and you know like do a lot more proactive communication mm. oh i love that i will not escalate unless someone else escalates but then you just have to make sure that they're good at using words and not just like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah exactly i still have a fantasy of going to a play party just like mouth taped and put like i'm shy please pet <laughs> i just oh, don't know <laughs> any help that I would love to help <laughs> yeah I need uh, I just want someone to like point me because I'm I'm sort of just like I don't know okay let's end on a fantasy brainstorm if you had an unlimited budget to build a sexy playroom or playhouse or play castle or play whatever structure you want it could either be for yourself and or represent bloom what would it be like I would probably create so much to choose from I would probably create like different it would be like this like Victorian home with probably like 10 different rooms and each room would be like a different experience or like focus area so it'd be like dance like how do you land in your body right and it would be like sensuality like an almost kiss booth or something that I would take people through 
the experience of like, oh, oh I could play with different flavors because I think that's what Bloom is about. It's about like, it's not just like one community. It's about like variety and like exploration. And maybe you're like not into it and like again, but you try it once. So it's create like these different rooms that each one would be a different type of mm. sexual exploration and self-expression and allow people to like try it out and then decide, like have the experience, like you said, of saying like no or saying yes and following up with questions so they can actually learn the skills of curiosity and boundaries. Oh, I love that. I was new. So yesterday I was at the park collecting sex stories because I do that on Sundays and it was the Lotus Festival at Echo Park Lake. And I was staring at the Lotus and I was thinking about the fact that I was going to interview Bloom tomorrow. And I was like, what if there was a big building in the middle of the desert? Every room was a pedal. And it. And then I was just like, what am I thinking? Like, I never answered this question for guests, but I was like, Bloomed could be. And then I don't know, are the outer pedals? less intense and maybe the inner ones are the kinkiest. I'm a big fan of circles. So I always think in circles and spirals and in my perfect place, I think the upper floors are the kinky ones, the lower ones are, you know, or maybe hmm, somewhere where people can watch, somewhere where people can play. Uh, and then, you know, of course, education is the base of all of it, a museum. Truly for me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And lovers, you can go find bloomcommunity.com on the internet. Download the app. I am on there somewhere. And Noah, thank you for being a guest on Sex Stories. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you.